And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show and your Sunday edition of Women's World Cup Daily. Colombia produced a result for the ages after beating the Germans in the dying stages. Sydney witnessed a World Cup shock and one too many missed chances from Alex Pop. Morocco earned their first ever World Cup win. How bad were Korea? Where do we begin? And Group A concluded with a big win for Norway and the Swiss doing just enough to keep the ferns at bay. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, your intrepid adventurer, Mr. Taylor Rocco. Howdy doody, Tete. How's this Sunday treating ya? I'm awake. Does that count? Uh, I am here to talk about all the soccers. Man, the four games and the two simultaneous kickoffs that Ryan and I realized were happening last night after we were done recording. Uh, It's a lot. It's a lot to keep track of. But again, we don't work in a coal mine. Uh, Things could be worse. They could indeed. I did... uh... I made a mistake for a while of doing both games split screen on the same laptop. Uh-huh. Can't concentrate on that. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> I mean, it's great way. if you want to focus on neither of the games. That works <laughs> yeah. really well, I think. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a troublesome time. Graham Rutherford joining us on this Sunday as well. Graham, how have you found your dual screening duties? Two two games at one time is easy. That's that's like three less than I usually have on at the same time on any given uh, Saturday or, or, or Sunday. I also had Football Manager on as well, the F1 at two, Sky Sports News. Yeah, I had all my screens utilized. Graham, what's your secret? Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about that for like 10 minutes. How do you Just do it, seriously? Like, just like constantly you know how people watch a tennis match and they go from one side to the other one side to the other that's you just constantly have to do that but i also did re-watch the second half of yeah. norway philippines to okay. uh, take down any, anything that i had missed from that match i hadn't okay. missed much philippines were bad norway were good that's the that's the, the cliff notes thank you for listening uh, everybody um graham what can you seriously concentrate when there are two games yeah. happening simultaneously? Because I can have them both on and my eyes can see both of them, but I can't actually get into two games like that. I, I, I just can't. My brain doesn't work that way. So the key is to have the two screens like directly in front of you so you can kind of watch them within the same like scope of vision so mm. that you're not actually doing the tennis thing that I was making a joke about. That's okay. what I did for today's games, moved my two screens together, watched them both at the same time. Yeah, it was fine. Are you, how do you take notes on that? And how do you make sure the notes don't cross over? Because I feel like mine would slowly blend <laughs> well, into yeah. like one game where things are happening at the same time. So I did do that a couple of times in the there first half where it was like um, Norway have just scored against uh, against New Zealand. No, mm-hmm. wait, they're not playing New Zealand. They're playing Philippines and getting the teams all mixed up. But I think I straighten things out by, by the end. We'll see. Oh, that's good. We'll see when I talk about these two <laughs> games. You can correct me. I, Graham, I thought you were about to say, well, I have a pen in my left hand and a pen in yeah. my right hand and I just keep going simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, I'm ambidextrous. I've not told you that before. <laughs> that, that wouldn't surprise me if you were, Graham. You were a man of many talents indeed. There's still uh, a part of me that feels like Graham is minority report 
Robert like floating in a body of water, and the screens are just on the ceiling, and he's just absorbing all the information at once. That's like, come okay. on, that's yeah, oh, my bad. I forget. Yeah. I forget. Graham swiping away all the screens yes, so exactly. he can get to the very unhealthy snacks that lay behind them, uh, which keep him fueled. Yeah, I had, I had a bag of uh, Sour Patch Kids for breakfast this morning. You can tell that my family have left me behind for the week. Wow. Oh wait, that's begun. Yes, yes, what, my what, diet what? has my diet has gone to pieces. <laughs> are we on? What day are we on at this point? I want to uh, monitor day, this. Day, day four. Oh, so, this is day four of, of Solo Graham. Okay, good yeah, to know. Yeah, I know the, the Domino's delivery person knows me by name at this point. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, Graham, we'll be making sure to do some wellness checks throughout the week on you in this regard. Hope you're uh, keeping well and you do not have any more Sour Patch Kids for breakfast. That's it was Taylor only... that introduced me to those in Brooklyn. I'd never even heard of those. Yeah, and they're good. It's like vitamin C and stuff. You're did fine. Did he introduce exactly. you to your breakfast? What time of day did he introduce him to you? Let's be fair, nobody knew what time of day it was in Brooklyn. <laughs> All right, that is uh, that is very true. Plenty of uh, soccer to get to. Why don't we switch gears to that just before I say patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show for more of this banter, Gold Listener. If you're not with us already, we have an excellent Discord community going as well. It is a lot of fun indeed. Today, we've got a second round of Group H matches to talk about and the final round of Group A, four games in total. We should probably head, though, henceforth right now to Germany 1, Colombia 2. This one, a huge game in Sydney. Over 40,000 fans were there to witness uh, left-back Manuela Van Heas scoring a 97th-minute header as Colombia climbed to the top of Group H. This one, surely, Graham, the biggest... A Women's World Cup shock that we've had, shock that we've had so far uh, in this tournament. Linda Casado, we've got to give her props for that opening goal. An absolute yeah. stunner. Days after she was hospitalised after collapsing in training. Uh, Alex Pop with the penalty for the equaliser in this, this one as well. I, I went on record saying that there was one of the best games we've seen in the tournament yesterday. This one was really good too. Yeah, so I think this was probably the most memorable match of this World Cup. I don't know about um, which has been the highest quality game, but in, certainly in terms of matches that will stick in the mind, I think this one is probably top of the list for me. And it's going to take some beating over the course of the rest of this tournament. You just got a sense from early on that Colombia were really wired into this one, that they were really competitive from the start. They started really well, and they clearly knew and felt that they had a, a chance of doing something special in this game, I felt they were sharp in all areas of the pitch. They defended well, but not in a kind of backs-to-the-wall way either. It was it was a very proactive form of defence from Colombia. In fact, I thought they looked the more dangerous of the two teams as well in the attacking third. Even if the execution was lacking at some crucial moments, it really felt like they could get in behind Germany. They were giving Germany a lot of problems. And there was a moment in the dying seconds of this game when... Colombia have just scored their second uh, their second goal. They're moments, seconds away from a gigantic win at, at the World Cup, and Germany turned the ball over inside the Colombia box. Now, a normal team would have hit that, you know, directly out of play, or they, and and they would have kept the shape, or they would have passed it out to the fullback and they would have gone up the line with the ball. No, Colombia popped a couple <laughs> passes around Germany and then sent four players flying forward on the break deep into stoppage time, and that is just the sort of team that they are, and I love them. Yeah. Taylor, we, we do love this Colombia side, don't we? Yeah. They made a nice battle of things in midfield. Lots of lots of big challenges. I, I think I've said the phrase lots of big aggressive challenges in this tournament again and again, but it was certainly true of this Colombia side as well. They, they, they had the hunger, didn't they? 
That they did, my friend. That they did. And I think it was, uh, I'm not the first to suggest that this has been a, a clash of styles in the way Germany were setting up these very intricate passing systems and uh, trying to retain the ball and stretch Colombia and pull them out of position. And I think Colombia were, like, I, I don't think this is discourteous. I think they were, to Graham's point, like, so, sort of okay with that because they were then able to get the ball back, play good combinations, and hit on the break and counter pretty effectively and make Germany uncomfortable. Uh, and then uh, Linda Caicedo did Linda Caicedo things, which is to say incredible things. That goal is, I think, the, the goal of the tournament for me. There have been prettier passing sequences and nice combinations leading to goals, but the way she just waltzes through two defenders and then hits an inch-perfect shot into the top corner, it's so picturesque in so many different ways. Uh, she was so fun in this game, as were Colombia, uh, even if Germany will feel chagrined, I think, by the way this went down. Yeah, it's it's the way that she waits for the two German players mm -hmm. to, to come to her. She knows exactly what she's going to do, but realizes that they actually need to come closer to her so that she can beat them two players in one movement. And then the finish into the top corner is just so incredibly outrageous. It's a it's a it's an arrow into that yep. top corner. I uh, I I shouted out loud in my empty house. I would have shouted out loud even if my family hadn't abandoned me for a holiday in Spain. Um, but yeah, incredible moment. Probably my moment of the World Cup yep. so far. I know there's obviously a late winner in this game, but. The Casado moment was just so explosive. And obviously, we've seen glimpses of what she can do at this World Cup. There's a lot of hype around her before this tournament. Mm. But this was like an announcement from her. She is one of the best young players in the world at the moment. Uh, two things, Graham. When you shouted out loud, how spooked did the Domino's guy get? Because I assume he was behind you. <laughs> well, he was sitting on the sofa with me. Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's my buddy. Does he know your... Do, wait, do you know his name? So he knows your name. Or is he just Domino's guy to you? Graham. <laughs> yes, <just> <laughs> I Graham. haven't asked his name. That doesn't oh. reflect well on oh, me. Oh, that doesn't. That doesn't. <laughs> uh, getting back to the Hannah Matto, Linda Caseda, you're quite right. As I mentioned uh, a minute ago, Graham, she collapsed in training on Tuesday. She made a professional debut at 14, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer at 15, was undergoing chemotherapy and surgery. Obviously, it's 18 now. Two goals in two games in this tournament. It's it's the confidence, Graham, that's beyond her years, isn't it? When you talk about that movement and knowing exactly what she needed to do in that box, it was incredible. And... Is it just that I'm old? I think she looks really. She does. She looks really young as well, and I don't know how much of an effect that has on opposition. But she looks quite. Well, she is really quite, young. Yeah, she's, she's, 18. she's eighteen, but she she looks quite. Um, as someone who made a debut at fourteen, she's obviously got a lot of experience at this level. But yeah, I think she, her her confidence and her and her talent belies her stature, if that makes sense. She's just a really interesting story. So you mentioned there, Ryan, the kind of the health side of things, where she was diagnosed with cancer only three years ago. Um, collapsed a few days ago in training. The the, the coach of Columbia said that was, wasn't anything too serious. It was something stress-related, uh, um, fatigue-related, which to, to my mind does sound quite concerning. <laughs> <Right>. But um, <laughs> anyway, I, d I don't think it's linked to any of her past health issues is what I'm trying to get at. But also, she does seem, her story seems to be almost kind of Freddie Adu-esque, where she has made her debut so early at 14 and the pressure that has been heaped on our shoulders to be Colombia's next, uh, you know, greatest player, next star. And a lot of players can't handle that. Freddie Adu, of course, famously couldn't handle that. So it's there's something really fulfilling and pleasing to see a player like her fulfill her potential on the biggest stage like this. Yeah, definitely so. Uh, just a note on centre-back, uh, Yorolin Karabali, who was taken off on a stretcher late on in this one after a collision with Alex Pop. 
Um, we do hope she's okay from that one. But oh, it, by the way, that was my VSP that mm-hmm. um, Pop would get more aerial duels than Carabelli, who got zero in this game, I believe the stats say, and uh, Pop had thirteen. Uh, so Carabelli Whiffed. was down from ten in the previous game. So you won that one by just a small margin, just then. A smidge, <laughs> just a smidge. Yeah, I just got over the line with that VSP. <laughs> but uh, um, why don't we talk about Jeremy then, Taylor and, and Alex Pop? As I mentioned had a few chances one really good one at nil nil and one one nil which was sort of a pot shot from distance that was close as well Oberdorf had a chances as well could the Germans have done a little bit better in terms of you know being a bit more effective in the final third I mean yeah absolutely and they have incredibly good players they have incredibly talented players not least is Alex Pop there is still a part of me that thinks like throw Lina Casado into that Germany team and are they like borderline unplayable because there was something about the way they possessed and moved the ball that was uh, very German and and very talented and high level, but at the same time they weren't really creating as many chances as I would have expected. I think they have fourteen total shots, only two of which are categorized as big chances. And with those numbers in mind, plus four hundred and forty-seven accurate passes to Colombia's one hundred and fifty-two, I think you get a sense of how this game played out. Uh, in that Germany played their game and I think played an effective game, but at the same time weren't able to create the chances and weren't able to take those chances the way uh, Colombia were. And and it's not as though Germany went up 1-0 and then sort of coasted and took their foot off the gas. I mean, they they pull back that late penalty to make it 1-1. And I don't know why this is always interesting to me, but it was like Pop takes that penalty and then they're all sprinting back to midfield uh, because there's the expectation that they should be winning this game and now they've got the momentum and they will win this game. And so for Colombia to then get the winner late uh, was all the, all the more enjoyable just for me. Like, oh, you all think you're winning this? Nah, nah, yeah. we got this. <laughs> it wasn't very German, was it? It wasn't very... Germany, you always think of like the ultimate tournament team and okay, maybe them having like mm-hmm. a recognition. We'll take a point here. We'll still be top of the group. We're going into the final game. We're in control. And there was none of that recognition from Germany. And, and they kept on flooding bodies forward in the yeah. latter stages of the game, which is what they did in that Zambia warm-up game before the tournament when Zambia picked them off in a similar way to, to, to how uh, Colombia did in this match. They obviously concede the corner and, and, and Colombia score the winner from there. But I, I accept your point, Ryan, that Germany could have done better and more in certain moments. But to be honest, I, I'm i more inclined to give Colombia credit mm. for the way that they stopped Germany from certainly building into the wide areas, which is mm. where Germany did such damage against Morocco in that first match. And, and Germany couldn't get the fullbacks high. And even when they did, the defensive work rate from Caicedo and Andrade made it difficult for Germany to have any influence in, in those areas. I just thought it was a seriously impressive game plan by Colombia, who executed it with the utmost intensity and energy. They were completely shattered by the end of the match. Linda Caicedo, she gets subbed off just before the... It might actually have been the, just before the, the corner kick is taken for the winner. She almost has to like crawl off the pitch. She's covered so much ground. She looked absolutely knackered. But I guess that's what it, it takes to, to pull off a result like this. So yeah, I'm more inclined to give Colombia praise for executing their game plan than criticizing Germany. Graham, not that I disagree with you. Can you talk more about what they did or what that defensive shape was? Because like I, I struggled with this one a little bit because to me it felt like Germany were in control and just like slow, uh, which sometimes I think yeah. I, I can attribute to the team itself in possession, moving the ball, being a little bit cautious, wanting to put them on the right areas. But now I'm thinking about it. I feel like there's a pretty good chance that you are right, that they looked slow because Colombia were inhibiting what they wanted to do. 
Yeah, so essentially, um, the wide areas was such a key part of this match, as we saw from Morocco, who did nothing to, to stop Germany in those wide areas. So you have Caicedo getting back to help Venegas, um, and then you've got Andrade with Arias as, as the right back. They were essentially doubling up as a, as a defensive duo on either side to stop uh, Bull on the left side for Germany and then, and then Brand, Jules Brand on, on, on the right side. And in those areas, Germany are just not able to get any space. They're not able to get any combination play because Colombia were just creating this claustrophobic feeling where there was just bodies running into German bodies all the time. And like at times, it it, it bordered on over the top from Colombia. Like Lena Magul gets, I think, clattered in the face at one moment. Um, who else? I've got some of my notes here. Magul takes one to the face. Pop takes one in the ribs. Frums takes one in the, sh- in the stomach just before half time. So it certainly was physical. And Germany were physical in their own way. So it wasn't like they were bullied. Lena Oberdorf in particular, she kind of relished the ch- challenge and she won more duels than any other player on the pitch but by getting so close to the Germans Columbia as I say they just created this claustrophobia I think that was the most surprising thing about this Columbia performance was how effective they were out of possession I did the preview for Columbia and I highlighted their quality in attack and getting bodies forward which they did here but I talked about how their press was often extremely erratic and not very cohesive and ineffective it was slightly erratic at times here where they would send um, uh, Taylor, who's the centre forward again in the um, Ramirez, right? Mm-hmm. Myra Ramirez, Myra Ramirez yeah. who, by the way, we should talk about her because she was excellent in this game. They would send Ramirez and, and uh, Linda Casado as a two and then Germany would bypass the two and they'd be into space in the central midfield, which is where Lena Oberdorf could do a lot of good work. But it was just so difficult for Germany to build any build up any kind of rhythm Colombia did such a good job of stopping them from finding a passing flow. So there was a good defensive shape that Colombia had, but I almost feel like it was just the energy levels that they had in closing down Germany and making sure they didn't have any time of the ball that disrupted Germany the most. Yeah, definitely. So do you want to talk a bit more about Myra Ramirez then, Graham? Because you're definitely yeah. a presence up there. Absolutely. Yeah, that's putting it lightly. Uh, Taylor, I know you highlighted Ramirez after She's the last match. Code, but man. She's a cheat code. I found this match laughable in terms of just how effective she she is as a battering ram through the entire German defence. There were times when defenders were like just bouncing off of her. And we're talking about like big German defenders, you Mm -hmm. know, not lightweights in their own right. But she was just so effective at that. It's not just her physicality in terms of hitting her with long balls and crosses either because Colombia... Maybe they did that a few times, but that's not really a, a big part of their game plan. Instead, they play the ball into space or into channels or into Ramirez's feet, and they get her to run at the opposition defence. And the number of times she took Colombia 20 yards up the pitch yeah. through, her, through her running mm-hmm. was just so important to their success in getting bodies forward. And then the willingness of the the runners from midfield, of Andrade, of Uzme, from of uh, Caicedo, to get into the box. It felt like Germany were ambushed more than once inside their own box just through the sheer numbers that Colombia were able to get up into that area. And I think that comes from Ramirez and her effectiveness in that role. I think she also probably isn't like, like, yes, she gets a lot of attention because she is that sort of battering Ram player, but I think also isn't going to get credit for what she does for them from a like helping build standpoint in that against Korea uh, routinely, I would see her do that sort of carry the ball forward or or get them into better positions, but then also laying it off when I think the expectation would be, Oh, she's going to go for a shot. She's, she's that, that big number nine who's going to run through the defense and, and get shots off and sort of make something happen. And I feel like she will do that, but she will also carry the ball forward draw in three defenders, sort of, 
physically hold them off and then lay it off to a teammate who can do something more technical or can create from there because now they've got opportunities. Uh, so I just feel like she's so good in that, like, the the physical role, but then also can be almost a decoy, essentially, and, and I think is okay with that because she has talented attackers around her who can then take advantage. So it's a, it's a really interesting attacking combination that makes Columbia that much more exciting for me to watch. Yeah, and when you look at Columbia and the way that they set up, it's almost like kind of two units of their mm-hmm. team. So they have yeah, that front yeah, four yeah. that works with Ramirez, Andrade, Uzme, and Caicedo. And then they have the back four and the two central midfielders that, that, that sit in front of them. And normally, if you have two units in a team, there's a risk of them being disjointed or, or not being very well connected. But that doesn't seem to be an issue for Columbia, who do use those central midfielders to, as, as valves to get forward as well. And I'm just looking at the shape. You, Taylor, you asked me about the defensive shape. So you have almost like two, tri- two defensive triangles on the left and right with Montoya, Arias and Venegas. And then you have Bedoya, Carabali and uh, Arias on the right side. And that was matching up directly with what Germany were trying to do in those areas where they send Debrett's Bull, Magul, Lena Magul into the left. Magul's actually a pivot she plays kind of on both sides and creating those triangles. But Colombia were just matching up with those triangles defensively. And then they have the front four that we've just talked about with Ramirez as the battering ram. It was just super effective and they executed their game plan perfectly. They did indeed. Um, a note on the winning goal, Graham, which I, I dropped a little image into our slack of uh, a, a screenshot of the moment the corner comes in for the winning goal and in it you see eight german players uh on in the, in the six yard box or on the edge of it two of them on the edge of it five colombians between the six yard box and the penalty spot two germans on the short corner option so 10 german players basically within the six yard box or thereabouts and then the colombians lined up behind them I felt like that was kind of an atypical setup defensively for this kind of situation yeah. in the 97th minute of a crucial game. Is that fair to say? Because they weren't they weren't man marking in any sense of the word. Yeah, so it's fair to say that that shape didn't work for Germany at all, <laughs> as proven by the fact. Oh that, no! Uh, yeah, <laughs> the goal scorer is completely through so, the header. Did something happen? <laughs> but there is some good awareness and recognition from Colombia in that moment because Germany have the three blockers at the front post. If you look at that picture. And Colombia, no, this is what Germany had done up until th- this moment of the game. They'd done it all the way through the match. They'd had the three blockers at, at, in the, uh, at the front post. I presume that was based on some prior knowledge of how Colombia had used set pieces previously. I can't really remember from the, fir- the first game, but maybe Colombia are sending runners to, to, to the front post or getting bodies into the six-yard box, and so Germany have set up to combat that. But there's space. Colombia know that there's space between the six-yard box and the penalty spot. That's where you need to hit. And it is like a perfect delivery into those areas. You know, it's not easy to hit a, hit a, hit a ball into that specific area. The blockers then can't track back easily. The two German players inside the six-yard box, they don't want to vacate that area because defenders instinctively, you know, don't want to get out of that part of the pitch from a corner kick. So it's just excellent execution from Colombia where they do spot a weakness and they exploit it ruthlessly. But you're right, Ryan, maybe not the best defensive setup from Germany in that moment. I... I... Like, I know there are arguments for it. Zonal marking never makes sense to me on set pieces. I'm sure there are times that it does work. But in this situation, ju- just that still image you sent, Ryan, maybe we can post it elsewhere, but it's the entire German team is just staring at the corner taker. Yeah. And and it's not like zonal marking, you're not supposed to be making contact with your player. You're not focused on the player at all. But there's still just, like, a- an awareness, I think, of, like, so often when you see 
the individual defending, you'll see the defender on the player. As the corner's being taken, there's at least physical contact. I've talked about this a bunch in this tournament, that it, like the physical contact is going to put them off, or at the very least, the defender is going to have that much of an easier time tracking the run and making sure that they know where the player is, where the ball is being delivered. You can do so simultaneously here. Um, the event- eventual goal score is just wide open, like completely wide open, and no one seems to be aware that Venegas is essentially drifting into an attacking space, they're all just sort of watching the ball and theoretically defending their zone. But as a result, they are going to be reacting to it instead of progressively going to meet that challenge. Whereas it feels to me like Colombia are very much set up to take advantage to attack that ball, Venegas chief among them. And it's just an odd setup. That said, it makes me really excited for the idea that Germany, if they could meet Sweden... Uh, we know Sweden want to put five and six inside the six-yard <laughs> box. I feel like it's just going to be two teams camped out in one six-yard space, and and chaos will ensue. So I'm I, down for that, if nothing else. My suggestion, Taylor, if that if that meeting does happen, is that the German zone are marking make the zones bigger than one yard in front of you. <laughs> Maybe try that. But if it went into this one-yard spot, we got this. <laughs> they got it. They've got it. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. All right. Uh, one final question for me on this one, Graham. Colombia, uh, the biggest dark horse of this tournament now. Um, well, who else would be in that category? I'm trying to think how the groups have shaken out. Like Switzerland, maybe? I mean, yeah. I certainly prefer... No. <laughs> Everyone had the same reaction to that. <laughs> I, I mean, really Switzerland the Swiss. Have... I'm happy the Swiss uh, have done what they've done. At the same time, they're not... They don't make it fun. They definitely don't make it fun. Colombia yeah. make it fun, for sure. Yeah, Switzerland are effective. Not fun. Colombia still a bit wild, and I feel like that might cost them at some point in the tournament, but certainly fun to watch. So yeah. if I had to pick one to root for, it would certainly be Colombia, especially because, in my eyes, they have the best kit as well in the whole tournament. They wore it for the first time at, at, in, in this game. It's magnificent. It is indeed. Uh, so Group H standings uh, after two games. Colombia, of course, with maximum points on six. Germany on three points. Morocco also on three points. South Korea on zero. All teams still alive. Thursday's got a big set of games, of course. Korea versus Germany and Morocco versus Colombia. The big one. Uh, Morocco can go through over Germany if they better the Germans' result in that one. Speaking of Morocco, Taylor is pumping his fist because yeah, I've said the word Morocco several times. Korea nil, Morocco won the other game yeah. in Group H, of course, today. A shock win here from Morocco to their first ever win at a World Cup. They are the second lowest ranked side here. Ibtisam Jardi scoring the winner and the first goal Morocco at a World Cup. A great flicked header this one was. Taylor, you have big smile on your face. I do. I do, man. Uh, The World Cup is great. Morocco will not advance out of this group. Germany are are going to to just batter uh, their opposition. I don't think Morocco will do the same against Colombia. I think Germany will beat South Korea pretty convincingly. So I expect Germany to go get out. But I think it's still a victory. It's still a win. Morocco get a win. They get their first goal at a World Cup. This is a Morocco team, I'll say it again, that we're... Not expecting to be at this World Cup. Did not think the program would be at the point where they could qualify for a World Cup. They have. They've brought in a bunch of dual nationals, which is what they've done on the men's side as well. And it's working for them. Uh, Did not work in the opener. They made a number of changes here. They make two in the back line. They change both of the attackers. Um, and, And to get this win, like... Moving away from the tactics for a moment, uh, we talked a little bit about Jamaica's win yesterday, Ryan, and I think there's there's reasons why we we were sort of focused on other games and talked about that one the least. I was talking to a buddy of mine who uh, supports Jamaica, and he was he got a phone call from his mom, and she was in tears talking about this win. And I I think I forget sometimes with 
like uh, smaller nations that just like how much this can mean. And yes, it's yeah. CONCACAF opposition, but it's still Jamaica getting their first win, what that could mean for the program and for women's soccer in that country. And the same goes for Morocco here. The same goes for Colombia beating Germany. I do appreciate that Norway reminded everybody that Norway's still quite good. So they went a different direction in that game. But, but to get teams competing and getting wins that never have before, it shows the growth of the game. It shows that there are more people playing and more people taking it seriously. And I think it's, it's why we, we love the World Cup. It's why we watch these games. And so it made me really happy, not just because I had previewed Morocco and gotten pretty hyped about them, but because uh, I wanted to see them have some success to build on from here. And I feel like they have done just that. Yeah. It is genuinely one of the best things about any World Cup is there are more triumphs than just the one at the end of the tournament yeah. and whoever lifts the trophy, yeah. which is normally the case for most cups. You j it's just whoever wins it, that's it done, over. Um, but World Cups have so many little moments that mean so much to so many different people. Yes, indeed. On the Korean side of things, the team I, I preview for this tournament... Um, this was disappointing, I will say. Uh, I can't believe it, to be honest, said their coach Colin Bell after this one. We saved the two worst we saved the two worst performances in my tenure for the World Cup. I didn't recognise my own team. This is a team that reached the Asian Cup final last year. They were just pretty chaotic in defence. They didn't really threaten in attack. They seemed very uncomposed, Graham, I thought, in this entire out. Yeah. They seem to be very wasteful in, in the box in particular. The number of opportunities or half opportunities the execution was just missing on. And Colin Bell has had some interesting things to say during this tournament as a whole, not just after this game. After the first match, he had a lot to say about the intensity of women's international football and how South Korea or the Korea Republic had, had fallen behind that level and kind of calling out the country's own federation for not providing the resources or the time in the training pitch for, for him to raise that level. So, yeah, he's been quite outspoken for the manager of a team that still has one game to go in this group. It's not yeah. like their tournament is over. Um, I don't know if that's a good sign or not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not great. It pretty much is over. Casey Fair, uh, New Jersey's very own Casey Fair coming on, though, in this one. Again, had a decent chance to equalise, sort of rolled wide of the post in this one. But I was a bit disappointed in the lack of attacking threat, given the calibre of some of the Korean players on the field and who've been involved in this squad as well. And, and particularly for a side that's sort of set up for to defending numbers with a back five to be as, <laughs> as chaotic as they are at the back is a little disappointing yeah. as well, I suppose. And then... And then you have the the inverse, which Graham already talked about. But then when you have a team that's set up to defend and be sort of resolute in that approach to concede and then have to take the game to the opposition, uh, look at the numbers. I think they go from five shots in the first half to 11 in the second. More passes, more touches in and around the box. But I think the XG at the end of the game is still like 1.3 to Korea, 1.1 to Morocco or thereabouts. So uh, you, you can sort of see there that Morocco have way less of the ball because they're up 1-0, way fewer passes completed and way fewer shooting opportunities, and yet the number's more or less the same because I think Korea just not able to create the high-quality chances and the chances they were able to create not able to turn those into high-percentage chances. Indeed. Uh, talking of, you mentioned the kits in the last game we spoke about, <laughs> Graham. This one, we had the team with the red flag playing in white and the team with <laughs> the white flag playing in red. We discussed this yesterday, Taylor. Yep. It, it, it turned out the opposite way that we may have hoped this is my point though this is why i think france brazil is such an like an iconic pairing because you know 
very likely what the colors are going to be. It's going to be blue and yellow. You know what those two teams wear. They are very identifiable. And here, I was like, it could be Korean white. It could be Morocco and white. One of them could be in red. Uh, maybe there'll be hints of green that will give it away. But it makes it a, a more challenging viewing when the teams can have overlap in the colors. And so there could be some changes in the kits. Uh, I, I feel like we're vindicated in our in our <laughs> arguments. That's what I feel, right? Good stuff. Uh, Graham is not uh, going on the website to buy either of these kits because of the color confusion, I'm assuming. (laughs) Exactly. He can't can't buy any of these Women's World Cup kits anyway, even if I tried. (laughs) It's just a nightmare. But it would be it would be Columbia for you, number one, Graham. Oh yeah, be, I've been okay. trying to genuinely been have been trying to buy Columbia for the last couple of months since it came out, and it appears every so often on the Adidas site. But they go in like I think they're selling like two at a time because it says sold out at the moment, and it's been it said that for two months. Right, you have older children. Uh, is this is this Graham doing? I like I wanted it, but I can't find it anywhere. Like is that is that what we're getting from Graham? I think what's <laughs> happening is that Domino's guy is listening, and when he comes tonight, when he opens the box up, it's not going to be a pizza in there. That's all I'm saying. This is yeah, maybe the, maybe then I'll learn his name. This is the greatest the greatest romance podcast ever told, right here. Graham and, Graham and the Dominoes guys slowly becoming BFFs. Oh, lovely stuff. Uh, as we say, this group concludes on Thursday. Korea taking on Germany and Morocco against Colombia. Graham, any more on this game before we head into Norway's big route? No, we can move on, I think. Let's do that then. Norway 6, Philippines nil. This is part of the last round of Group A games, of course. Seems, Taylor, that Norway are kind of growing into this tournament. I think after a very slow start, obviously losing to New Zealand and then drawing the Swiss, this is the first time they've actually played to their potential and to their ability on the field, it seems. Yeah. Turns out scoring uh, two goals in 17 minutes is a good way to start a game. I think that's a big part of this. I was I was really surprised by this. I would not have been before the tournament began with how Norway have looked in their opening two games. And with Philippines getting the win over New Zealand, I did not know what to expect. I thought maybe the Philippines could spring a surprise and make this nil-nil and defend and frustrate a Norway team that sort of seemed beaten or seemed like they were lacking that motivation, that next level sort of instinct to make something happen, or at least that drive to make something happen. And then we knew Ada Hegeberg was not going to be playing in this one. Maybe just maybe having her announced as not playing versus walking off like 30 seconds before kickoff due to injury that might have had an impact on Norway it turns out but for them to come in start this game the way they did and then finish it the way they did uh with a 6-0 win that has to have them feeling confident at the same time for me uh, a neutral in this one I I don't know what we're gonna get in the next round from Norway it's still difficult to know are we getting a team that is sort of now kicking into form and and figuring things out and are they gonna slowly grind their way towards the final or is this a Norway team that could go right back to looking sort of listless and without inspiration and and capitulate in the very next round? I don't know. I think it makes them pretty compelling, but probably not compelling in the way that they expected to be heading into this tournament. I really didn't expect this sort of performance from them yeah. in this game. And I think it's important to apply some context here. So the build-up to this match was dominated by reports of splits yeah. and unhappiness within the camp, within the Norway camp. It was something that Hegarisa was was asked numerous times about before the game, and even after this one, she was asked again about the happiness within the camp. Caroline Grim Hansen openly criticised Hegarisa's uh, decision to start her on the bench against Switzerland, which you know, fair enough, I guess it was a bad decision, um, but nonetheless, it's probably probably not a good sign to have one of your best players openly rebelling against the manager. But this was a lot better, and I think the biggest dif- difference was the way the Norwegian midfield and the attack was connected 
in this match we'd spoken about this giant disconnect between the midfield players and the attackers at this tournament before in the first two matches certainly the first match against New Zealand but in this match there were things like fluidity and overloads and interchange play and all the good stuff that you want from a, a performance at a World Cup yes there were moments of individual brilliance like the the first goal from uh, from from Roman Haug which is honestly one of the you know how I feel like the, the Van Basten cliche is overused at any time there is a volley across goal from a certain part of the box it's a Van Basten-esque finish this is honestly one of the best Van Van Basten tributes I have ever seen I know it's from the other side but still what an outrageous strike on the full volley from that angle then of course there was the Graham Hansen strike from outside the box as well to make it 3-0 but nonetheless it was just a lot more coherent from Norway I think Guru Raiten was was the best example the best individual example of how this was different for them she was still in that midfield unit which hasn't really worked for her at this tournament, but she was nowhere near as deep in this match. And in fact, she was getting really high up on the left side and doubling up with uh, with Harvey, which was giving Norway a way to combine in the final third. And this didn't just get more out of Wrighton, which it certainly did, but it, it also freed up space for uh, Borisa as the, the deep-lying midfielder to get on the ball and, and dictate. She was getting her foot on, on in possession to give Norway control, but also pushing passes into the wide areas to bypass the, the Philippines' midfield block and get Norway into attacking areas quicker, which, again, they didn't do in that first match so just by making that one change of pushing right and higher higher and wider I think Norway got more out of right but also more out of their midfield structure as a whole and it just gave them better balance to the entire team I also think there's something to be said for identifying a vulnerability which Norway certainly did with the two the opening two goals being basically looping crosses to the back post and then the runner is there to finish expertly but also just something about when you get a goal like that from Hogg in the opener and then she gets the second as well there's a looseness that teams can then play with and it did seem to me like if she misses that one if she skies that first chance or puts it wide it's understandable because it's from a tight angle it's difficult to track that ball over the top but I think we would have seen more nervousness, more tightness from Norway. And like I know it's an obvious statement to say, like, scoring inside six minutes is going to make you feel more confident. But I think a team like Norway, a, a perennially talented team like Norway, once you get that opener, I think you can just relax a little bit. And there's a feeling, especially with how well-struck that is, of, like, oh, right, we're Norway. We can do things here. We can be good. And, and it allows them to have this confident performance that we just have not seen from them. Again, I say, I don't know if that will carry over. I don't know if that unlocks them, and now there is this confidence. There is maybe more positivity. There's a very good chance, because they finished second, they're playing the winner of Group C, and there's a very good chance that, that team will be Spain. Uh, so oh, dear. It'll, it, see, that's the thing. It's like maybe this is Spain just passing them to death and destroying them. Maybe this is Norway springing a surprise. I feel like it's maybe better to be second in that group, and if you're Japan, you get Switzerland. I feel like I'd rather play Switzerland than Norway. At least with with the Swiss, you know it's going to be a difficult game, but it's not going to be a team that could hang six on you. Uh, uh, Maybe Switzerland will end up doing that. I doubt it. I don't think the Swiss are going to score because I keep predicting them to do so, and then they don't. (laughs) Yeah, the other thing to mention is the Philippines were really quite bad in this game. Um, I'm I'm not totally sure why they moved away from the 3-5-2 shape that had worked so well for them in their first two games. So they were set up in more of a 4-4-2 in this game. And I guess the idea was that it would give them like more I'm kind of guessing here but more players in midfield and maybe more control but I 
I don't, I don't think that was ever the play against Norway. Even a Norway team that had struggled up until this match, that didn't seem like the best of ploys. Um, the Philippines tried to use the front two of Bolden and Flanagan to press Norway and stop them playing through the middle, but there wasn't enough backing up. So Norway, whenever they played around them, Norway are just into space in the middle of the, of the pitch. It was a front three when Gooey and uh, um, she got forward and joined Bolden and Flanagan in possession, but... Those moments were just so few and far between it it didn't justify the tactical change from the Philippines. The other thing in this match was things kind of went in Norway's favour at certain points, like the red card decision, which at that point I don't think has any material impact on the game. I didn't think that was a red card. Excessive force was the explanation given. One of the few times actually that, or the only time so far in this tournament, when the referee speaking over the PA has provided a bit of information that was useful in this moment where she said it was for excessive force. I didn't see excessive excessive force in that moment. In fact, Borisa's challenge four minutes from the end was almost exactly the same, but only got a yellow for, for, for that challenge. So yeah, poor opposition, certainly better from Norway, but poor opposition and certain moments went in their favour as well. I thought the penalty was soft as well, personally. Uh, yeah. in terms of officiating stuff. So there, there is that too. Uh, Sophia Roman Hogg, to go back to her gram, she must be I'm not going to say happy that uh, Hagerberg has not been playing, but she's been given a spotlight. She's been given the floor basically to shine here. And with the opening volley with the header, uh, she, she's been she's been quite superb and is, is going to go on to better things, uh, I think, in this tournament now. So she must be up there in the in the golden uh, boot. That's the one for goal scoring, right? Mm. Boot is goal scorer, ball is best player. Bonds is for headers, I think. Like there's what? there's a lot of headers at this. I've just made that up, but okay. there should be a golden bonds at this tournament because what? the number of headers has been outrageous. Yeah. Uh, Roman Haug has, has scored a few of those, like two or three of those um, off her head at this tournament. But yeah, she certainly seemed to be she'd been integrated into this Norwegian attack better than she had been in the second game, which, as Taylor mentioned, it helps when Ada Hegerberg doesn't walk off like 20 seconds before the game starts. You can make more uh, adaptations and tailor to having a different number nine. But yes, she has been impressive in this in this tournament so far. One of maybe one of the few Norwegian players over the course of the three games that has actually done herself uh, credit consistently. Yeah. Uh, on, the, on the note of headers, by the way, I'm sure on the UK broadcast yesterday, they were discussing in the studio. I, I wish I could remember the stat or had it to me, but it was something like 35% or more of goals have been headers at this tournament. And they were suggesting, were the analysts, that um, there, there's been more focus on training the aerial game within mm. uh, the women's game as well, which is interesting to see because it's certainly paying out yep. uh, in real life here. 35% are headers and Wendy Renard hasn't even got going yet that number will get pushed to 50% by the time we're done with this tournament 32% of those were Swedish headers I imagine but uh, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see how this one does go along uh, Norway 6 Philippines nil the score in this one uh, should we go to the other game which was uh, this game Graham was on the BBC main channel the Switzerland bad choice uh, nil, New Zealand nil they put the other one on their digital offering I would think that they did make the bad choice and Jonathan Pierce commentator pretty much said that during the broadcast of, of this game. Uh, this one, uh, he Jonathan Pierce, who is a very respectable commentator who I like a lot, at the final whistle, he said, that was unimpressive and unadventurous from the Swiss, uh, yeah. which is kind of fair. They, they held on for a draw. They did everything they could to sort of block out a draw and eliminate New Zealand. They're topping the group. Uh, Switzerland are top on five. Norway are on four. New Zealand are on four. Uh, Philippines on three in this one. 
Has topping a group game ever felt this dull? That's <laughs> my first question. <laughs> I, I just I just don't know which team from this match I am angrier mm-hmm. at. So New Zealand, who obviously went out as the first host of, of a Women's World Cup, uh, they're the first host not to get out of a, a group stage of a Women's mm. World Cup, um, or Switzerland, who finished, as you say, top of Group A, Ryan, but essentially played for a draw in back-to-back matches yeah. and did absolutely nothing to impose their own game over those two matches. I didn't have fun watching this match. I join Jonathan Pierce in that sentiment. I think I'm more frustrated with Switzerland now that I'm talking this out because at least with New Zealand, you get the sense that this is maybe as good as they are. This is maybe as good as they can produce. They just aren't a very good team. Um, whereas Switzerland... They have talent. They should be better at controlling and creative and being more proactive, but they have chosen to play this conservative, reactive, and frankly dull game that we've seen from them in the last two two matches. It took until the 45th minute for either team to have a shot on target in this game. That was a swift shot for New Zealand, a team who'd, who needed a win to go through. It took them until the 73rd minute to have a shot on target. They were probably the more aggressive team out of possession. There was a, some semblance of a high press from them, but it was difficult for New Zealand because every time Switzerland lost the ball, they would just go into this mid-block or, or just a full-on low block. And I said in my preview of New Zealand that they they struggle to play through teams, as most teams do, but they really struggle to do it. And Rio Percival offering very little in this match. Um, So in in a sense, it was a clever ploy from Switzerland in that this approach meant they were always likely to get something from this match. But just because it was clever and just because it got the job done doesn't mean that I had fun watching it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was rough. It was rough. Um, I think... Five total shots on target combined for these two teams for a combined XG of 0.8. So the two teams together did not average one goal uh, when it comes to XG. That shows you, I think, how low percentage the chances were. Ryan, to your point about headers, it also makes me wonder if we've sort of uh, reached a stage in which teams can rely on their defensive ability and getting back and doing doing some bunkering, crowding the middle and making it really difficult or like for teams to play through if there isn't a significantly sizable talent gap. And even if there is, it seems like some teams can negate that. I wonder if that's where we're seeing more headers of it just ends up being put it in a box and and see who can get on the end of it and let's just try to make something happen because that's the only way we're going to be able to play through. Didn't feel like New Zealand really did that here. It felt like they kept trying to possess the ball and create better chances, but ultimately we're just sort of stymied in this game. Uh, this, this game, I watched this game on on replay very tired and fell asleep twice watching it while sitting at my kitchen table. I don't normally fall asleep sitting at the table, but this one, uh, I definitely uh, time traveled a couple minutes at a time in this game. <laughs> well, I think both teams kind of fell asleep in the last yeah. 10 minutes of, of this match where you're expecting some sort of crescendo or late push from, push from New Zealand who obviously need a goal and um, they know the other game's done. So they know the situation. They need three points. They're the host nation. You would think, something would materialize but it it just didn't there was no set attacking sequence from New Zealand no real strategy no definable approach in the final third they got the goalkeeper up for a corner kick in stoppage time and she caused a bit of chaos and panic but when your goalkeeper is your biggest attacking threat when you're chasing a goal to stay in a world cup that's not ideal and maybe you don't deserve to stay in that world cup yeah that was that was uh, some a good moment at the end when the goalkeeper came up and had a header off a corner to potentially win this one but um yeah miles wide that was uh, a- the other thing that was weird about that moment was it, i think that was in the 92nd minute and there were eight minutes of stoppage time <laughs> that 
that is quite early to send your goalkeeper up in up that again, situation. I think she came up again. Uh, oh, yeah, she came up a second time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, interesting. I but... mean, with, with with that said, like, I, even if the Swiss had like won the ball and the goalkeeper was up, I feel like they would have been like, no, no, no. Like we're gonna be slow and plotting in our possession. We will not be attacking. We see, we see your trick. We know that you want us to get stretched trying to attack a goalless or a goalkeeperless goal. <laughs> then we'll lose the ball and then we'll be open. I feel like even there they maintain their discipline. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. It's it is disappointing for New Zealand, obviously going out uh, as hosts after such a statement win in the opening game and on four points as well many other teams will go through on four points so we can give them credit for that at least but a disappointing one for them uh taylor my last question can we really trust a nation with a square flag (laughs) (laughs) i think you know the answer to that right i do excellent all right uh, as we say group a uh, switzerland and norway does the dominoes guy have thoughts on flags I'll, I'll ask him. Okay. I'll, I'll bring. I'll bring his thoughts tomorrow when we record. I'll ask him when he brings me a Columbia shirt I can't tonight in the wait box. For that guy to show up and Graham to be like, "Hey, I was talking about you on the podcast." <laughs> Just have that guy be very, very concerned, confused. He'll be like, "Oh, I know, I know." Anyway, um, <laughs> hey, lessons. Very specific prediction time, <laughs> guys. We got a, we got a uh, a situation that's happened with our very specific predictions with, with relation to our Discord, where our very specific predictions are recorded. Joe Lowry of this parish has been on there giving very specific predictions but not giving them on air on the podcast can we give joe points no. for vsps when he doesn't show up for the show but he puts no. them in the in the in the in the slack or in the discord i think no right no this is this is the greatest uh, scandal in very specific predictions since graham was on there lobbying for why his should count uh no no you got to be on the show i'm not giving that to joe at the very least uh if so then i then i'm going back and, and retroactively creating some did he get any right from his Discord predictions? Because if he did, I say no. And uh, if he if 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 he didn't, then we it doesn't him. matter. <laughs> I believe he he did a Korea Morocco one, which he did get right. He said neither. Oh team. well, nope, that yeah. doesn't count. Yeah, <laughs> I think he said either team would not have a pass completion rate over eighty five percent, which neither did. So yeah, we're we're striking That's, that from the record. What? No. Okay. See, this is why you have to be on the show <laughs> because that is like very few teams in this tournament have had a pass completion rate above eighty five percent. So that's one. The whole reason you have to do them on the show is is that I would have been like, Joe, no one has gotten that, and I would have made him make it like seventy five percent, and then we would have seen, which maybe the teams still would not have yeah. gotten. But no, I'm not. I'm not. No, I refuse to accept this. Yeah, Get the, out of here, the, Joe. The, pur- the purpose of of the show is this: these are the checks and balances. Yes. you know, of the predictions. That is very low hanging fruit. He's he's lying on the ground with the pineapple in his mouth, which is this not is... a sentence that I thought I'd say on this show. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Democracy is in action, Graham. The people have spoken. We shall give Joe, of course, the chance to defend himself if he comes on the show, which he will do tomorrow. Um, very specific predictions, though, for tomorrow for Group C's last round. We got Costa Rica against Zambia. Joe gave a VSP for this one, but never mind. Uh, Japan versus Spain, and we've got the Group B last round, Ireland versus Nigeria, and Canada versus Australia. Graham, where would you like to go with this one? So I'm going to go to the Republic of Ireland-Nigeria game, where Ireland are already out, but Nigeria are in a good position to get get through. But my VSP is that Katie McCabe will attempt two or more (laughs) Olympicos in this match. She obviously scored one against Canada, but she was trying them against Australia as well. Now, VSPs are always designed, or I always think of them, um, as something that will tell you how the match will go, kind of like a yardstick of how the game's going to go. I don't think Ireland are going to create much 
in this game that's been a trouble for them all the way through this tournament so I think it will get to a point where even if she's not doing it early like she did against Canada Katie McCabe trying to loop one over the goalkeeper again might be their best chance of scoring or at least causing some chaos in, in the box she is very very good at them so yeah my vsp she's going to try it at least twice in this match i i love that because i want to see that but do we have parameters set for what constitutes trying at olympico does it have to be on target um see this is why you have to be on the show this is why you have to be on the show (laughs) these are the questions that must be asked okay so either on target or forces a goalkeeper or defender to make some form of like panicked clearance under the bar or close to under the bar this one's going to the Discord adjudicators. I can yep. feel it, but yep. I like it, Graham. Thank you very much. Taylor, where did you go? Uh, I'm going yellow cards, and I'm going for Canada, Australia. I think we're going to get at least three yellow cards in this game. There have not been a ton of yellow card heavy games. We've had a few where there was like one card and then maybe a red card. That was Norway, Philippines, but there haven't been a ton of cards. I think this one is going to be a very... Uh, hard-fought game uh, because Australia need to get that win. I think on home soil, they're going to be really going for it. It's going to be a lot of, I think, aggressive play, a lot of long balls. Sam Kerr is expected to play in this one. I think they're going to be going for her as much as they can. I think she's probably going to get fouled pretty often by the Canadian defenders, so I think we'll get some accumulation yellow cards as well. Uh, And then I can see this game late becoming a, a sort of hectic game where both teams are having to make some professional fouls to prevent the other one from creating opportunities. That said, I would have said the exact same thing about New Zealand and Switzerland, and that one finished goalless with very few chances and I believe zero cards as well. So maybe I'll end up being totally wrong, but I think this one's going to be a, a bit of a, a, a knockdown dragout slugfest. Okay, a bit of poop housery perhaps in bit, the uh, closing mm-hmm. stages of that one. Very good. My VSP is for Japan versus Spain. Uh, I'm saying that Etania Bonmati will have three or more shots. Obviously a superstar for Spain in this tournament, playing in a pivot that has created plenty of shooting opportunities. She had seven shots against Costa Rica. She had three against Zambia. Now, with those numbers, you might be thinking, you're only saying three or more shots. That's not a very high VSP threshold. But she's playing against Japan here, who have only allowed six shots in total so far in this tournament they were all from Costa Rica Zambia didn't get one they do not allow a lot this Japan side and they are expecting to have a decent amount of the ball as well but I think Spain are going to have more of the ball I think there's going to be more opportunities for Bonmati to get forward and put some on frame there we go that's my VSP thank you very much I like it and I think that game is going to be a must-watch event. I'm looking forward to it. Could be yes. one of the best games of the group stage. Let's hope so. We've had plenty of, uh, of, of nominations for that category so far, Graham. So long may they continue. Uh, thank you very much. And Joe, we love you, by the way. We're looking forward to you coming back for very specific predictions and more on Monday's show. But for now, Graham Ruffin, thank you very much for Sunday podding. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Taylor Rocco, same to you, my good man. Same to you, my friend. And, and thank listener- you. Thank you, thank you, and thank you, listener, for sticking with us on this bonus ad-free show. We do know how to treat you, but if you're new to TSS, by the way, uh, listen to one with ads in it. You know, you, yeah. it'll be great for everybody. <laughs> it'll be great for everybody involved, <laughs> believe me. But uh, listen, thank you very much for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye!
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.